0: The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if?
1: Welcome everyone to creating a family talk about infertility and adoption today we're going to be talking about IUI that's intrauterine insemination versus IVF in vitro fertilization which fertility treatment is the right one for you here's a sample of what you're going to hear
2: we recommend one or two insemination cycles if they aren't pregnant by the second cycle they start to lose the cost-effectiveness because if they do four cycles of insemination with injections, they virtually paid for an IVF cycle and still had significantly lower pregnancy rates.
1: I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the director of Creating a Family. We are the national infertility and adoption education and support nonprofit. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. One of the things we do here at Creating a Family is produce resources for, to aid you in your infertility journey. One such resource, and a particularly good one, is our multimedia guide for how to choose an infertility clinic. It has become a go-to resource for many, many patients at the very beginning of their journey. One of the most important things you're going to do is select a clinic to help guide you on this path. And we include lots of information. We have uh, information from patients. We have Q&As with doctors. We have questions to ask. We define terms. We talk about treatments. Just you name it, we cover it in 50 pages. It's um, We feel like an excellent resource, and uh, the reviews have been really good as well. To get to this, you can go to our website, creatingafamily.org. Hover over Resources and click on eGuides, and it will pop right up. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. For women who have been undergoing fertility treatment and are still struggling to conceive, there are so many daily scenarios and interactions that really do take a toll on your emotional health. There is a new app available. Well, not that new, but there is an app available. came out within the last year called Ferticom, and it was designed by a friend of this show, Dr. Ali Domar, as well as Dr. Elizabeth Grill. Uh, they designed it to create, to provide you with specific resources, detailed resources, detailed techniques you can use to handle any number of, well, in fact, not any number, 50, 50 specific situations that come up all the time for those uh, people who are struggling to conceive. They, it covers things like cognitive behavioral and relaxation techniques, but but others as well. It is a really good resource uh, and a really good app. And it's available, of course, for uh, uh, for iPhones as well as Androids. You can get more information and download it at their website, which is Ferticomapp.com. That's F-E-R-T-I, Ferticom, C-A-L-M, app, A-P-P, dot com. So check it out. I think you will enjoy it. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support from our partners who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support, and I should also add medically accurate information, to those struggling to create a family. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include... Reproductive Medicine Associates of New Jersey. They are a recognized scientific and patient care leader in the field of infertility. They have 10 offices and 21 physicians throughout New Jersey. They maintain an IVF delivery rate well above the national average and offer the latest and validated technical solutions to help hopeful parents increase their chances for success in the shortest time possible. We also have Reproductive Medicine Associates of New York. They are a full-service fertility center specializing in in vitro fertilization, egg donation, egg and embryo freezing, LGBTQ family building, reproductive surgeries, and male reproductive medicine. They provide highly individualized patient care through 13 reproductive endocrinologists and fertility specialists. And in addition to some of our gold sponsors and some of these gold partners, we also have other sponsors and partners who allow us to bring you this show. So when choosing an infertility provider, do us a favor. Please choose one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the Service Provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, number of years in operation, or whatever. There's lots of things you can search by, and we suggest this as a resource. And by using these directories, You support those who support us, and we thank you. Today, we're going to be talking about IUI versus IVF, which fertility treatment is right for you. Our guest today is Dr. Daniel Williams. He is a reproductive endocrinologist and medical director with the Houston Fertility Clinic. He is also clinical professor of OBGYN at the University of Texas McGovern School of Medicine in Houston. Welcome, Dr. Williams, to Creating a Family.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Well, we're going to start with the basics, uh, as we usually do, uh, just so we make sure that everybody is on the same page who is listening. Uh, So let's start with the most obvious. What is uh, intrauterine insemination, otherwise known as IUI?
2: So basically, it simply involves injecting the sperm directly into the uterus. Normally, after intercourse, sperm starts in the vagina, then has to swim through the cervix, into the uterus, and into the tubes to reach the egg. With intrauterine insemination, you're actually bypassing those uh, cervical barriers, so to speak, and injecting millions of moving sperm directly into the uterus. So now millions of sperm will reach the egg or eggs if you use fertility medicine along with the insemination.
1: You know, we hear the term every once in a while. You don't hear it so much, um, but intracervical insemination. So why don't you make a distinction between
2: intrauterine
1: insemination, IUI, and intracervical insemination, which sometimes goes by ICI?
2: Absolutely. Uh, So there's a couple things with that. First of all, uh, it does require, if you're doing insemination, that either an infertility specialist, a physician, perform the procedure, or at the very least, a nurse or nurse practitioner who's been trained in the technique. That Is involves, that an
1: IUI or an ICI, or both?
2: That's for an IUI, so you're passing gotcha. a small catheter through the cervical opening, kind of like a pap smear, except you're actually going to insert a catheter all the way to the top of the uterus. With intracervical, you do not have to go all the way into the uterus, you simply go just into the opening uh, which is the cervix, where a pap smear is done, actually, and inject the sperm. Or the older method was placing a cervical cap filled with semen, almost like a diaphragm, on the cervix and then letting the sperm swim in. Now, the issue is the sperm still have to swim a much longer way, so you get less numbers of moving sperm with the intracervical insemination than you do with the intrauterine insemination. And that also translates to lower pregnancy rates with the intracervical insemination. Therefore, we don't use intracervical insemination anymore.
1: Right. We don't, you don't see it very often. We don't really get too many questions on it. Well, we're going to be talking in just a little bit more about how this compares with IVF. But just so we, we're getting our terminology all straight at the beginning, how does an IUI, intrauterine insemination, differ from IVF, in vitro fertilization?
2: Right. So, basically, intrauterine insemination basically means that you're trying to get the sperm closer to the egg by injecting the sperm into the uterus. But then, after the sperm is injected into the uterus, the sperm still has to go into the tube, find the egg, and hopefully fertilize the egg. So, all those processes of fertilizing the egg, then once the egg is fertilized in the tube, it grows into an embryo, travels back, which sounds backwards, but it actually travels from the tube back into the uterus. It's developing embryo, floats for two to three days, and then either sticks, which means you're pregnant, or doesn't stick, which means you're not pregnant. With in vitro fertilization, you're actually stimulating the ovaries to make extra eggs, taking those eggs out of the ovaries, fertilizing them in the lab, typically by injecting a single sperm into each egg. So remember, that normally happens in the body, for instance, with insemination. But with in vitro fertilization, this is happening in the lab. Then you let the fertilized eggs grow into embryos over a period of five to six days. Again, that normally happens in the body. Mm-hmm. And so then you can actually select the best embryos, and you can also use other techniques with in vitro fertilization, such as uh, biopsy the embryo uh, to determine genetics. And then transfer of an embryo is the same procedure as insemination. You slide or insert a catheter through the cervical opening into the uterine cavity and then uh, inject either sperm for insemination or an embryo for in vitro fertilization.
1: And you mentioned something uh, at the very beginning about uh, when you were talking about the kind of the basics of IUI about a medicated versus a natural or an unmedicated insemination cycle. Um, explain what you mean by uh, medicated versus unmedicated or natural.
2: Absolutely. So in general, most patients have gone through a fertility workup before starting any treatment which basically involves a semen analysis to assess the sperm. There's an ultrasound and blood testing that can be done to assess the egg quality and numbers. Then finally you need to mechanically make sure the uterine cavity and the tubes are normal. If all the testing is normal, which is what's called unexplained infertility, You're basically trying to increase your chances to become pregnant by doing two things, increasing the number of eggs and putting the sperm and egg closer together. So if you're doing a medicated cycle, you can either use a fertility pill called Clomid or Letrozole, which basically helps the brain to stimulate the ovary, or you can use fertility shots to stimulate the ovaries directly, in which case you would get more eggs because you're not now using the brain as a middleman. So to increase your chances with insemination using medication to produce more eggs does increase your chances for conception uh, with an insemination cycle. With in vitro fertilization, most uh, recommendations are to stimulate the ovaries to get more eggs, and that is actually what does significantly increase your chances with in vitro fertilization, but also with insemination. If you do not choose... I'm sorry.
1: No, that's okay. Finish what you're saying, and then I will, I will follow up with uh, my question.
2: So if you decide not to do medicine for an insemination cycle, for instance, if a patient has uh, a male factor and you're trying to get more sperm there, it will increase your chances compared to timed intercourse on your own, but it's still not going to maximize your chances by doing a natural cycle.
1: But isn't one of the risks with a medicated, and particularly if we're using the injectable medications, not the not the oral meds such as clomiphene or letrozole, isn't one of the risks that you will produce a a number of eggs that will then release, and and we have a higher risk of not only twins but also higher order multiples, or have have. Have uh, have doctors figured a way around that now so that that's not as much of a risk?
2: Well, so it, it's a multi-part question. So uh, first of all, absolutely. If you're doing insemination and choose to use medication, either fertility pills or fertility shots, you're doing that to increase your chances. But as you point out, the byproduct, of course, is you're going to have more eggs, which increases your risk of multiples. So to break it down very simply, if you do fertility pills, your chance of uh, triplets would be 1%. Your chance of twins would be 9%. And the rest would be singleton. So and this is, relatively and you're talking low.
1: About, and you're talking about now with an IUI. Are you're talking about
2: just with... In general, using a fertility pill. The, the actual okay. insemination has nothing to do with the multiple rate. It's simply the medication you use to produce more eggs.
1: Okay. Go ahead, then.
2: Now, if you... So, basically, then, if you use fertility shots, you're going to get more eggs because you're stimulating the ovary directly, and you do ultrasound to monitor how many... The follicles are growing. The follicles are what the egg grows in, the cyst that the egg grows in. And you adjust the dose to try to uh, uh, prevent uh, having too much egg development for an IUI cycle or an insemination cycle. But having said that, usually with a pill cycle, you're going to get one to two eggs. That's it. That's all that you're going to produce. With a shot cycle, you're shooting to get at least two to five eggs. So five would be your maximum if you're doing insemination with an injection or shot cycle. And if you do an injection cycle, your risk of twins now goes up to about 20 to 22%. Triplets goes up to 3%. And then more than triplets is about 1% to give you some idea of the risks of uh, multiples with the two modalities.
1: At, At what point... Uh, Let's say that you have used the injectable gonadotropin medications. At what point is it no longer, how many eggs uh, would make it no longer safe to do an IUI, intrauterine insemination?
2: Right. So this is very, very important that patients are adequately counseled before they do insemination uh, particularly with injectable medicines, about the multiple risk, and here is why. If you look at any uh, news reports of quadruplets, quintuplets, things mm-hmm. of that nature, uh, most of the time they're going to be from an injection cycle. And I'll mm-hmm. explain later why IVF would largely eliminate this problem. So that if a patient has four follicles, that gives them a very good chance to get pregnant with an insemination cycle, but now their twin rate is significantly increased. But even more so, as you point out, the higher order triplets or more goes up too, although less so. So we usually have the conversation with the patient in the event, which is not high, but it's still there, In the event that they had triplets or more, would they be willing to reduce to twins, which is called selective reduction? If their answer is no, then you recommend that they either use a fertility pill or go directly to in vitro fertilization and transfer one embryo. So that gives you some idea of of, of the counting that's important because you don't want to put a patient in a position, Mm -hmm. i.e. they have four Pregnancy now, pregnancies now quadruplets they cannot reduce therefore they have to try to carry quadruplets which has significant risk so you do not want that
1: mm-hmm. yep yeah, and, and let's point out not significant risk not only to the mother but, but substantial risks uh, to the babies as well uh, which I think we tend to, to overlook um, absolutely all right, I'm just curious how just from your experience are most patients Willing to, do to, to acknowledge that they would be, do a selective reduction if they were to conceive with higher orders? Or are most people uh, choosing to do either just the oral medication or go straight to IVF?
2: Right. So at this point, because of the advances of in vitro fertilization in terms of better lab culture conditions, producing better quality embryos, and then, of course, the ability to actually um, do embryo biopsy to to check Mm -hmm. the genetics of the embryo, and therefore you can transfer a known normal embryo back into the uterus. This has revolutionized the way we we approach treatment, and Mm -hmm. we are certainly cognizant of trying to minimize the risk of multiples, which, as you point out, is to the mother to some degree, but in particular even more so, to the to the, to the, pre, uh, to the baby. So uh, at this point, many patients, when we discuss success rates, which I'm sure we'll get into later, and the risk of multiples, many patients will choose to either use a fertility pill or use low doses of fertility injections, and if it doesn't work, go directly to IVF.
1: Is it possible if you've got a, let's say you uh, are... Choosing to use a uh, uh, injectables, and you do have more eggs than is more eggs that are maturing than than it makes it safe to do an IUI. Because keep in mind, this is just for the audience. I know you know this, but with an uh, IUI, you can't control how many of the eggs are going to fertilize. It's not like you can say, oh well, sperm just go to only one or two <laughs> eggs. Don't go to all of them. They'll right. uh, have a mind of their own, and they're going to um, go to whatever uh, eggs are there. You're going to have you're injecting millions of them. But is it possible then to convert uh, at, at the last minute, because you really wouldn't know until pretty close to when you're getting ready to do uh, the insemination. Can you convert and say, okay, it's not safe, but rather than lose all the money we've spent on the medication, uh, we'll go ahead and convert to an IVF. Is that something that's possible?
2: Absolutely. So you, you bring up a great point. We, While we do try to adjust medication dosing to minimize this issue, occasionally, even with low doses, uh, some patients are extremely responsive to the medications and simply make too many eggs to make insemination safe. We usually will catch that at a reasonably early time where patients can make a decision. So what are their options? Well, one option is they could say, "I just want to cancel the cycle." If they do that, we will we will not charge them for their IUI cycle. We we just don't charge them, even for whatever monitoring we've done. Of course, the medicine they use they've used; but they can't do anything about that. But at least they know that they can safely say, "We're going to cancel the cycle," and then they can come back and try again if they wish, or use that money they. Uh, put forth for IVF, IUI to do IVF. So that's one option to cancel. A second is, as you point out, is to convert to IVF. And so basically what they do is they ca- we calculate the cost difference and if they want to convert, we simply continue along those lines because they'll have in those cases they usually have a, a large number of eggs anyway and they do quite well with that uh, with that option as well.
1: And the, and, and the main reason that, that people are facing these choices are having to make tough choices is because the medication cost is not insignificant. Uh, and so they've already invested, depending on, you know, they could have invested easily $3,000 or more even in, in medication. So otherwise, you know, that's the hesitancy of just saying, okay, this, you know, this is not safe. Therefore, we're just going to stop it. So hence why people are asking that question about the possibility of converting so that they, uh, the sunk cost they've already done um, is, is not totally lost. All right. right,
2: and, and, and not just cost. Remember, there, there's an emotional component they've gone through Absolutely. taking the medicine, they've gone through some of the monitoring processes already, and many patients want to keep going. They don't want to start over.
1: Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to short-shift the emotional aspect because you are entirely right. That's a huge portion of it as well. Um, all right, let's switch to the, we've been talking about the female side, but before we uh, get too much further, we, you know, it takes two to tango, as my mother and grandmother used to tell me. So right. let's talk about the, the semen. How fresh does the semen have to be if you're doing an IUI?
2: So so actually, there are are two basic options. You can do um, a fresh insemination, which is what most couples do. Uh, Basically, the morning of the insemination, the husband or partner comes in, collects the sample, we process it, and uh, then we do the insemination. Uh, The other option is we we do in Houston, since we are oil and gas, uh, (coughs) many of our uh, uh, husbands or partners actually uh, travel a great deal, or they're in the, uh, in the fields, oil fields, so they're, they're usually there for a couple months, three months, so they'll freeze multiple vials, mm-hmm. so they can actually do frozen, um, we just saw the specimen the morning of, and then do the insemination. So it, it can be fresh, but it can also be frozen, as long as this, uh, the husband has a normal semen analysis.
1: And 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 real if the norman if the husband has a normal semen analysis, the uh, thaw the loss the number of sperm lost in freezing and thawing, is not significant, or of something of concern, uh, is is that correct?
2: That's absolutely correct. And the biggest example for that, of course, is uh, if if the husband has no sperm, or if it's a single uh, female who's using donor and doing donor insemination. Uh, by there is no fresh donor insemination. It is uh, frozen. And so right. as long as it's normal, it works very well.
1: All right. So how is the sperm prepared when doing an IUI? I mean, I'm assuming that you're not using sperm that is just fresh collected uh, as it would be in normal intercourse.
2: Absolutely. So what you're getting at, uh, <clears throat> simply put, is the semen or the liquid that comes out with ejaculation Comes primarily from the prostate gland, among other things. And so its main purpose is to get all those millions of sperm into the vagina so then the fast sperm can swim out of that liquid into the uterus, into the tubes to find the egg. And in fact, many patients tell me, well, we think we're not getting pregnant because after intercourse, when the female partner gets up, all the liquid, the semen, comes out. And I point out to them that the, the sperm uh, that's very fast is there within five to ten minutes after ejaculation, so there's no um, concern there. But the issue is, as you point out, we can't inject that semen or liquid into the uterus because it also contains prostaglandins and other substances that would cause significant uterine cramping, which would defeat our purpose if we're doing insemination. So to remove that liquid and just get the sperm cells, there's various media that you can Uh, mix with the semen, spin it down to make the sperm cells go to the bottom, suck off the top liquid, and then you can do a variety of techniques. Uh, You can put clear uh, media and give the sperm uh, time to swim up the fast sperm into that liquid and then use that liquid for the insemination. There's also gradient uh, solutions you can use to actually more efficiently uh, separate out and get the, best quality sperm to go to the bottom right away. But either way, you're going to inject a very small volume filled with very modal sperm and culture media into the uterus now when you're doing insemination.
1: And that process you just described is kind of uh, often known as sperm washing. Is that the same thing?
2: Absolutely.
1: Well, we have a question from Jennifer. She said, how does sperm washing slash the swim-up test work? Why might someone with a normal semen analysis not qualify for IUI?
2: So that's a very good question. So uh, in essence, most patients with a normal semen analysis will actually do quite well after wash because they have normal uh, counts, normal motility, and normal morphology. That's the appearance of the sperm. Occasionally, during the processing, because the sperm, when it's in these tubes, is centrifuged, spun around very quickly to allow the cells to settle to the bottom and separate the sperm cells. And some patients do have um, problems uh, with that process where they don't get enough moving sperm. But in general, if the semen parameters are normal, you won't have that problem. The difference is if there is a low sperm count and you're trying to figure out whether insemination will work for you or whether IVF would work for you, what you're looking for is after you process the specimen, we count the number of total moving sperm in millions. To optimize your chances for a uh, a success, you want to have at least 10 million moving sperm in the in the um, specimen that you're injecting at the time of insemination. So we'll offer patients uh, with low sperm count a semen analysis with a test wash before they do any treatment to determine how well they would do if they did insemination. So if their test wash specimen shows a very low number of moving sperm, we'd probably recommend uh, IVF as opposed to insemination.
1: Okay, and the swim-up test is part of what you just described.
2: I had never that, heard that of the exactly right. okay, yes, That is exactly right. Yes, yeah. the swim-up is where you put the cells. Uh, you get the cells, separate the sperm cells. They, they go into a pellet, and then you suck off the semen that you <clears throat> want to get rid of, and then you overlay or just pour on top of the sperm pellet some clear media that's chock full of nutrients for the sperm to help them swim faster. And then you give them an hour or so just for the fast sperm to swim into this liquid, and then you use the liquid to inject.
1: It's kind of That's the, you know, the, the, the only on the it, best. <laughs> will, yeah, that makes sense. It makes for the, the best, best of the best, uh,
2: so to speak. Yeah, the best
1: of the best. Survival of the fittest, or whatever. All right, we have a question from Jacqueline. She said, a few years after my husband's vasectomy, we looked into IVF and IUI as a way to conceive without him having a reversal. We were told we could do sperm aspiration for IVF, but that for IUI, sperm aspiration was not a possibility due to the amount they wouldn't be able to get. Is that accurate information, or is sperm aspiration a viable choice for IUI?
2: Again, a very, very good question. So, sperm aspiration means that you're actually getting the sperm before ejaculation. So, remember, with ejaculation, you get uh, volume of fluid, usually the, the, the semen volume, that this what comes out at the time of ejaculation, in a normal setting would be above 1.5 cc's or 1.5 milliliters. So if you're aspirating the sperm, you're talking about aspirating cells, so you're getting very small amounts, and you have to go into the testicle or the epididymis, which is right next to the testicle, because normally sperm is made, passes through the epididymis, and then this long tube called the vas deferens. You've heard of vasectomy. That's cutting that vas deferens vasectomy. And then the liquid is combined with the prostate and the seminal vesicles, and the fluid comes out with ejaculation. So when you go into the testicle, the sperm hasn't passed even through the epididymis, that little area, to allow it to move. If you had a vasectomy, you can get it from the epididymis. That's a little fat, worm-like uh, structure that's next, right next to the testicle. And you usually do get moving sperm from the epididymis, but there's just such low numbers. Remember I mentioned with insemination, you want 10 million moving sperm. There's no way you're going to get that kind of number for an insemination. The second thing is insemination has a much lower rate. So you don't want to go in and do multiple sperm aspirations every month. With in vitro fertilization, you do the aspiration. You probably get enough files to do many IVF cycles, and the IVF has a high success rate. So the short answer is that your physician is correct, that sperm aspiration is really not useful for insemination or intrauterine insemination procedures, rather for uh, in vitro fertilization procedures.
1: Okay, and that makes sense because we're looking at millions of sperm needed for uh, the chance of pregnancy with an IUI or with intercourse yeah, as well. All right, now let's come to the uh, $64 million question, and that is what are your chances of success uh, when, getting, uh, when of getting pregnant, which ultimately is, you know, is how we're defining success around here. Um, so uh, what are your chances of getting pregnant with an IUI? and then we're going to compare that to an IVF.
2: Right, absolutely. So uh, that's really the crux of the matter. So just to preface that, any time a couple is deciding, what should I do, IUI or IVF, there's only two major factors they're looking at in general, and that would be, one, cost of the treatment, and two, as you've just asked, uh, the success rates. So we'll start with the success rates. They're based on age, and in particular, they're based on age of the female partner. So it stands to reason that a younger patient will have a higher success rate, i.e. someone in their 30s, compared to uh, someone in their 40s. And that would happen with natural conception or with treatment. The second thing, obviously, along those lines is insemination has a lower success rate than IVF. Again, that makes sense if we remember from talking uh, just a, a few minutes ago that with insemination, you're simply putting more sperm close to more eggs, but all the fertilization growth of the embryo happens in the body, if it happens. You can't see it, of course. With in vitro fertilization, you're actually doing all those steps in the lab, so you actually see embryo development, and you can choose the quote unquote best embryo by appearance and even by embryo biopsy genetically to know if they're normal or not. So success rates, we'll we'll start with women under 35, because that has the optimal success rate, and it does go down as women get older. But in women under 35, the success rates with insemination, if you use a fertility pill, are going to be somewhere in the range of 10 to 12% per cycle. Now, a normal couple is at 25% per cycle in the first year of trying, so remember, it's not out of a hundred. If you use fertility shots plus the insemination, you get up to 18% to 20% per cycle. If you use, uh, if you do in vitro fertilization, and these are our, this is our data, but y- you would be uh, 65 to 70% per transfer of an embryo for pregnancy. So as you can see, simply from that information, mm-hmm. The differences of uh, uh, pregnancy rates are much higher for IVF compared to IUI. You mentioned there were two factors that you, yes. had, to,
1: you had to weigh. One, success, which yes. uh, the success rates are significantly higher with IVF. How do costs compare?
2: Right. So their costs are always going to vary from program to program. So you would have to, you would check with the, your individual uh, physician and they can t- or center that you're uh, being uh, evaluated, and they can tell you what their costs are. But in general, w- the way we do it is for IVF, we have a package which covers everything but medicine, because everyone uses different doses depending on how many eggs they have, et cetera, and also whether or not someone's going to do an embryo biopsy. So the base cost of an IVF cycle is pretty close to three to four insemination cycles with injections. So we've actually sort of figured out that if a patient wants to do insemination first because it's less expensive, that's a reasonable um, decision but we recommend one or two insemination cycles. If they aren't pregnant by the second cycle, they start to lose the cost-effectiveness because if they do four cycles of insemination with injections, they virtually paid for an IVF cycle and still had significantly lower pregnancy rates. And and I understand cost and success rates are important, but there's also the emotional. You, You can't expect patients to go through multiple cycles with with no results and not expect some emotional toll. So for all those reasons, our recommendation is pretty simple. In patients with unexplained infertility, our recommendation is you either go straight to in vitro fertilization or one or two cycles of insemination. And, and, again, we we are flexible. Patients can do four cycles if they wish, but we if they're paying out of pocket for everything, we try to, to approach it that way. So hopefully that helps a bit.
1: Yeah, it absolutely does. And we actually had a question that I was glad we got because it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine. Um, this is from Catherine. She said, uh, how does insurance coverage play into the decision between IUI and IVF? Um, I think it's a great question. <laughs> so... Um, so how does insurance uh, play into uh, – and, and I, Texas is not a mandated state, is it? Uh, you're no, it is not. Yeah, see, this may be less of an issue. Um, uh, no, it's still
2: – it's an extremely important question, actually. Okay. Okay. And, and the reason being, like everything else, there's two things to it. So insurance will tell you if they cover something or not, right? So if insurance covers something – on the surface, that's good. Now you have to see what the conditions are. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And it becomes very complicated. So, for example, we have about 30% of our patients who have coverage for IVF mm-hmm. in, in Texas or in Houston. In some of those patients, they can go directly to IVF if they wish. But in some patients, they can't go to IVF unless there's a specific reason, severe male factor, tubal blockage, et cetera. If they have unexplained infertility, they're required to do three to four insemination cycles first. Mm -hmm. Now, it's covered for them, so it does eliminate cost, but that's why I said it's not quite so cut and dried. Now, if there are no restrictions, yes, that eliminates the cost concern, and then patients can simply look at success rates. And in most cases, they're going to go directly to IVF because, they can have high success rates, transfer one embryo, minimizing their risk of multiples, et cetera.
1: Are you seeing, it used to be, that there were a number of, of policies that required, before they would cover IVF, even though IVF was covered, before the insurance would cover IVF, they required that the patients go through X number, and the ones I've seen were usually three or four, IUI cycles that would fail before they would pay for IVF. That was my pet peeve. Um, because, well, anyway, I will go. I will get off of my. I won't get on my soapbox. Uh, are you seeing those type of uh, insurance policies now?
2: Yes, we are, and uh, I think that sometimes they tend to be somewhat short-sighted in the sense that while yes, it is cheaper. For them, for a patient to do uh, individually an injection IUI cycle versus IVF, there's two considerations: one, the success rates are lower; two, uh, the risk of uh, multiples, and multiples cost insurance companies far more. Absolutely. Uh, the, yeah. So, so the logically, you could easily make an argument that they might be better served by going uh, directly to IVF with single embryo transfer, which is sort of what we've been uh, hinting mm-hmm. at. And that's really what, what it boils down to, I think.
1: Well, and there was research that was called the FAST trial done. This is not new. Mm-hmm. This was, I think, out of Boston uh, quite a few years ago. That, uh, and it, was, it had a fairly decent sample size. And um, they clearly showed that there would be cost savings. And I honestly don't remember now if, uh, if this research included the cost of multiples. I almost think it didn't. I think they were just saying the total cost of X number of failed IUI cycles, you know, makes it, it well, I guess they would have, I'm not sure now how they did it, but it clearly showed that the fastest and ultimately least expensive way of getting pregnant was to go uh, straight to IVF. I hope I'm, I'm remembering yeah. the, the research well. You, you,
2: you absolutely are, and, and it, it, it supports other uh, smaller studies that, that pretty much show the same thing. If you have a lower success rate, you have to do more cycles. So the point is, if you're doing three or four cycles and you don't get pregnant and then you have to do IVF, you've now significantly increased your cost compared to doing IVF directly. So I think that that's really, from a medical Scientific standpoint, pretty pretty well established.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, um, it may be scientifically established, but it's not necessarily. I was I was hoping you were going to say that you're seeing far fewer insurance policies that require that. I haven't asked that question to anyone recently, um, but unfortunately, it sounds like that still some policies still require that which is not to say that sometimes it isn't the best idea to start. You were saying that depending on the diagnosis and uh, uh, the individual cases um, that, that uh, your patients can often go through, and you don't, but you recommend no more than two IUI cycles before moving. So it just seems like that decision is best left in the hands of a doctor. But
2: um, I think we would be a- in agreement upon that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is a bit of a, uh, yeah, it just drives me a little crazy. All right. Now, let's talk about the the timing of when you do, because there will be people, we're going back to talking about IUIs, even though I did did rant on them a bit right then. Um, So let's go back to talking about the timing of when you might want to do an IUI. With male factor, so let's talk about timing. Uh, Obviously, it's it's tied to the woman's ovulation. Um, At what uh, stage of her cycle do you do an IUI, and does it differ whether or not the, uh, there's male factor infertility involved?
2: So that's, that's an excellent question. So uh, there are many, many ways that you can actually time when someone's ovulating. So, for instance, uh, patients could use a basal body temperature chart or they could do urine home testing. We've largely eliminated uh, self monitoring, we found that it causes more stress for the patient. If their test isn't reading correctly, they get concerned. They call us. We have to look at their test, determine for them. So uh, what we do is, since we're doing monitored cycles uh, for insemination, where we're doing ultrasound, we can see the follicles grow. And so what we do is we give a trigger shot to release the eggs, and then we can predictably know when to do the insemination based on the time of this trigger shot we call HCG or Ovidril. So we actually uh, time everything so that takes away – we found that it takes away the worry for the patient about am I doing this right, am I doing it at the right time, because obviously timing is important. And Mm -hmm. I I think it also makes it easier on our staff uh, because it can be planned ahead of time.
1: Dan, is this only – the trigger shot is used obviously if you've used in injectable medication, um, but do you is it also used with when you use oral meds?
2: Yes, absolutely you do it for the same exact reasons you're still with oral meds you we or at least we do we do um, ultrasound monitoring and I, we find it very very useful and I'll tell you why because you want to know that the uterine lining is also thickening appropriately, and some of the pills tend to thin the uterine lining. So you mm-hmm. can see that. Secondly, you can see that there is a response definitively because you see follicles growing on ultrasound. And then the, the, the last thing is uh, that you know how many follicles are, are developing. So those, that's useful information. So since we're doing ultrasound we can do the trigger shot the same way with, with injections. There are just less eggs with the pill than there is with the shots.
1: And if you're using a, if a, uh, the woman is going with a natural IUI cycle, meaning she is not using any form of fertility drug, yes. injectable or oral, um, how is it done then? Uh, so it's it can be
2: done exactly the same way. We don't, we don't do, I have to confess, we don't do very many, it's pretty rare that we do a uh, natural cycle insemination. Uh, mm-hmm. But when, when we have done it for patients, and we, we certainly will, because uh, patients sometimes uh, have done reading and that's sort of where they want to start, we still do ultrasound so we can time. And we're doing insemination, so timing is very, very important. So if we do ultrasound and see the follicle growing, we actually give a trigger to make sure... That we're getting released, again, every step you can control would eliminate a potential reason as to why pregnancy didn't occur. So, we kind of look at it that way.
1: Well, you know, honestly, and I don't know if this would hold up uh, nationwide, or, or but in we have a really large online community, and most often the people that we're hearing who are wanting to do a natural and unmedicated IUI are uh, single women or lesbian couples who are using donor sperm and, as far as they know, have no fertility issue on the female side. So that's when we're seeing it uh, most often. Again, I don't know if that would hold up uh, across the board.
2: Um, but probably, but yes, timing is need. even more important for yeah, yeah. Uh, when you're using donor inse—donor insemination be, be simply because um, if it's a, a heterosexual couple, they're going to have intercourse either a, a few days before or after, so there's still a possibility of some sperm uh, contributing. With donor, you have to time it well, we tend to do one insemination, so even if it's a natural cycle for donor, we'll give an HCG trigger shot and then do the insemination 36 hours later. Uh, we find uh, that that is much uh, uh, easier on everyone for the reasons I gave previously.
1: Well, that leads into this question from uh, Carolyn, or it might be Caroline. Is it better to do one or two IUIs for the same month? Which one has the best pregnancy results?
2: Right. So so the literature is not definitive on that. And, And so what we do, we've decided for husband insemination, we routinely do two. Now, here's why. It really doesn't cost anything for the husband to give a sample. So you may as well hedge your bets in that, since you can't definitively say one is better than the other. There's some studies that have shown a benefit, others that haven't. The exceptions are when we have donor sperm, those vials are quite expensive. To do two inseminations, those do- vials can be $600 per vial, so to do two insemination would significantly increase the uh, cost to the patient. So in those cases, we almost uniformly offer one IUI thirty-six hours after the trigger shot. Now, if a couple says, "Why well, did reading? We want to do two inseminations." There is no problem. We we were very happy. We we're very flexible in that regard. We're trying to help the patient from a financial standpoint. There. Sure. Exactly. Uh, the the other uh, so so that's really the, the, the biggest uh, difference. When it's fresh, it's and it's easy to do two. We do two. When it's donor insemination, we tend to offer one for fine, for cost reasons for the for the patient.
1: We got this question. She asked that I not use her name. How long should a man abstain from? I think she means ejaculation before giving a sample for an IUI.
2: Great. So, if you recall, so when 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 you, uh, when the couple is doing a a workup for infertility, there's a semen analysis, and, and in general. It's two to five days of abstinence is recommended uh, in in, in those settings for a semen analysis. So you would extrapolate that, and you do the same recommendation with, with one exception. If it's a male factor with lower numbers, you want to go towards the longer side, five days. But if it's normal, two to five days would apply the same way that it would for just a general semen analysis.
1: Okay. And here's another question from Catherine. She says, is there important diagnostic information that can be gained from IVI, I'm sorry, from IVF, which would not be available from an IUI cycle?
2: Oh, oh, oh absolutely. So the, the biggest uh, information that you would get overall is going to be, one, uh, the overall egg quality. What that means is the quality of the egg in general determines the quality of the embryo. So if the egg is genetically abnormal, i.e. down syndrome, et cetera, then the embryo would be abnormal. So all the things that happen in the body, fertilization that happens in the tube, growth of the, uh, fer- uh, the fertilized egg into an embryo as it travels back through the tube to get, reach the uterus to try to implant, we see that in the lab, and therefore we can sort of uh, weed out eggs that are obviously abnormal. In other words, if an egg doesn't fertilize, not normal, because we're injecting a single sperm into each egg called ICSI or intracytoplasmic sperm injection. Then, once the egg fertilizes in the lab, we let it grow into an embryo over an additional four to five days. Anything that stops growing means it's non-viable. So you've eliminated that one as well. Then when you get to the end, which is day five or six, you've got what's called a blastocyst, which is a, an advanced-stage embryo. Now, they, they may look normal, but there may be a, a percentage of those that are genetically abnormal, but if you do an embryo biopsy, you even further uh, weed out the ones that aren't normal to have the best-quality embryos you can have. So, absolutely, you get uh, much more information uh, from a, a IVF because everything that's happening in the lab... You can see, whereas with insemination, all that stuff happens in the body. You can't see it.
1: So that's also something to factor in when people are trying to make the decision between uh, IUI and IVF is that that's an an added advantage of IVF is that you you gain more information that helps guide you on on your treatment and and ultimately, hopefully, will help increase your chances of of a take-home baby.
2: Definitely would.
1: You are listening to Creating a Family, and today we are talking about IUIs, or really more IUI versus IVF, and how do you make the decision of which form of treatment is best to you. Uh, I want you to know that we are now ranked as the, last time I checked, I think it was the number two online influencer in the world of fertility, ranked by clout. We are very active uh, in the social media we have a huge organization, huge community uh, that we have created. It's a wonderful way for us to spread information, medically accurate information, and support to the patient community. We primarily hang out at Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. You can connect with me personally. I'm Dawn Davenport One. Or you can like our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash creating a family. Or you can join our very large, we're almost, we're getting close to 8,000 members, uh, Facebook support group. And that is facebook.com slash groups slash creating a family. But that's way too many URLs. So the easiest way is simply type the words creating a family, or to be honest, infertility. You could probably find us that way. Um, but type uh, those words into the Facebook search box, and both the page and the group will pop up. The group is a closed group, so you would have to you have to request admission, uh, and we will but we will let you in. Uh, on Twitter and Pinterest, we go by at Creating a Family, so you can find us there. All right, we are talking today with, <clears throat> excuse me, Dr. Daniel Williams. He is the medical director with the Houston Fertility Institute. He is also clinical professor of OBGYN at the University of Texas McGovern School of Medicine in Houston. Dr. Williams, so how do you make the decision uh, if a patient comes in and, and is trying to decide or you're trying to decide what to advise them between an IUI or going straight to IVF? if uh does it depend first of all does it depend on depend on the type of infertility the diagnosis uh is or is that just one factor amongst many
2: well well certainly i mean the, the diagnosis uh <clears throat> certainly can uh play a role if for instance, if the tubes are blocked, you of course have to, and can't be uh, uh, repaired you have to do in vitro fertilization uh if the sperm counts are extremely low or if the husband had a vasectomy again you're talking about doing in, in, in vitro fertilization. So the, the the best example of consideration in terms of factors, age of the patient would be the other, because someone who is in their upper 30s and their 40s, you're going to be more aggressive and go straight to in vitro fertilization so as not to waste time. So the best way I look at it is, as I mentioned before, if someone had unexplained infertility, you look at cost of the treatment, success rates, and then, of course, um, the emotional factor, uh, how, how long I've right. been trying, and so on. And remember, we're talking about a finite recommendation. They can go directly to IVF, or they could do one or two cycles of IUI first. Uh, if they didn't get pregnant, then go in, going to, to the IVF. But either way, you're not talking about six months of treatment, four to five months of a of, of, a, of a treatment before moving to something uh, that, that has a higher success rate. So by doing that, we l- largely eliminate that concern that patients have about uh, what if we're not making progress.
1: I am so glad you mentioned that. I, one of the things that we – this is slightly different. I'm, well, I'm glad you mentioned the part about you know time is not on your side uh, unless you are very young. Uh, and even then, it's not on your side. It, it marches forward. But we see far too many patients spend a, longer than they should with their OBGYN before moving to a specialist. Uh, there's, there' are certainly reasons to you know to, to start with your OBGYN if that's where you want to start. But, you know, they, and, and the same I suspect with IUI, you just don't want to waste too much time at that stage because your chances of success with any form of treatment go down with you know with each year. Absolutely. Oh, well, yes. Not
2: just for each year. I mean, if you uh, try multiple treatments, basically at some point, if you're doing the same treatment, your success rates will drop. That that, uh, yeah. It's less likely that treatment will work if you fail to succeed with that treatment a number of times. So right. that's another factor.
1: So it's not just cost, it, but it's also the, your, your ultimate chances of, of becoming a parent. Um, so what are, are there any risks that we should know about with IUI, other than the risk we've already talked about, which is the risk of multiple birth?
2: Right. So, so the biggest risk, as you mentioned, is, is uh, <clears throat> multiple birth. And what I usually do is uh, patients usually think that there's a huge difference between IUI and IVF in terms of what a patient goes through. It's actually not, and I'll explain. If you're doing fertility shots with insemination, There's no difference except for one thing if you compare that to fertility shots with in vitro fertilization or IVF, and that difference is egg retrieval. The fertility shots, by and large, are under the skin injections for for both. You just use more medicines or higher doses of medications for IVF to get more eggs. So the insemination is the same as embryo transfer in terms of procedure. So the difference there is the uh, egg retrieval. Obviously, uh, for insemination, if you're using fertility shots, the multiple birth rate is the highest. The procedure itself of insemination, extremely low, less than 1% risk of any uh, complication. The embryo transfer for IVF, same thing. It's it's a minimal risk. So everyone says, well, what about the egg retrieval? Well, what you do is you do an ultrasound. You you look at the follicles, which on ultrasound look like dark circles. That's a cyst that the egg, egg uh, grows in. And you slide it, a needle that's attached to your ultrasound probe to the back wall of the vagina directly into those dark circles. You puncture each of those cysts, suck out the fluid. The egg goes with the fluid into a test tube. Now our embryologist takes that fluid, pours it to a uh, petri dish under the microscope, finds the eggs, and, and gets them ready to mix with the sperm. The procedure itself takes 10 minutes. That's it. You get medicine through an IV, such that you don't feel anything. So the risk of that procedure, again, less than one to two percent of any complication. The other thing that patients uh, worry about, or they may have heard about with in vitro fertilization compared to insemination is hyperstimulation syndrome. What that is is When you stimulate the ovaries, you're stimulating the ovaries on purpose to make more eggs, but with IVF, you really want to get a lot of eggs. But sometimes the eggs will, uh, you'll have so many eggs, and your estrogen levels will be so high that after the retrieval, the ovaries get very large. You can get fluid in your tummy, all kinds of things that you would not want to have. That's called hyperstimulation syndrome. That occurs in Mm -hmm. 1% to 2% of all stimulations. You can eliminate that by avoiding ovidril as your trigger shot and using a lupron trigger instead. And so those are the main differences and risks um, uh, but in, in the end they're they're minimal.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much Dr. Daniel Williams for being with us today to talk about IUIs and IVFs and and when you use what and when you when you use when you use one and when you use the other. Let me remind our audience to keep in mind that the information given in this interview is general advice to understand how to apply it to your specific situation. Work with your infertility professional. And uh, I also want to remind everyone that uh, we would love for you to give us a ranking. We are ranked number one uh, on iTunes in the areas of fertility, and we would like to continue that ranking, and iTunes uses the ranking. So just uh, whatever app you're using, Click on it and go straight to iTunes, and it's just an easy uh, uh, star ranking, and we really appreciate that. And for everyone who wants to get more information about uh, Dr. Williams or about the Houston Fertility Institute, you can go to their website, which is hfi-ivf.com. That's hfi-ivf.com. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I will see you.
0: mighty hands for painting paneling and clicking the submit order button on homedepot.com to get that duvet and these egyptian cotton towels delivered right to your door do more with decor at the home depot save up to 30 percent on select bedding and bath now at homedepot.com more saving more kinds of doing ballot on select items online only free delivery on select items 45 or more enter promo code bed bath 15 at purchase for an extra 15 percent off visit homedepot.com for more information